everyone. Really glad that you're here. Uh, glad that you're taking in the last of the series on Jesus' parables. And as always, these are just challenging and thought-provoking. We get to maybe some of his most famous stories this week. And when it comes to the details of the story of the last, the lost sheep, everybody knows the story. Lost sheep gets found. But do you know the reason why Jesus told the story? That's a very interesting question to ask because it shows the critical importance of context. If you understand the context in almost any part of the Bible, then you understand a lot better uh, how you're supposed to apply it, what you're supposed to uh, understand uh, out of it. And so interestingly, uh, before Jesus tells these critical stories we're going to unpack today, Luke gives us the reason, the, the circumstance under which Jesus tells the story. And it's really key to understanding what you're supposed to get out of it. So look at this, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Luke says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So basically, the circumstance under which Jesus is telling the story is that these religious leaders are uh, displeased with the, the moral quality of Jesus' dinner guests. So Jesus is hanging out with people, and the religious leaders are not particularly happy, and they're kind of thinking like this. Doesn't Jesus know what these people are? Doesn't he understand? I mean, he claims to be from God. So surely God knows that these are the kinds of people that stand under the judgment of God. These are the kinds of people that God discards. Doesn't Jesus know that if he comes from God? To answer that criticism, Jesus then says, it's story time. And so he cracks out story time and tells not one, but actually three stories to answer these critics. And it goes like this. I'll summarize them now. The first story is about a shepherd with 100 sheep. And uh, one of those sheep uh, wanders away. And so he leaves the herd, the 99, and he searches until he finds it and brings it back. And then he calls a party with all his shepherd's buddy, uh, shepherd buddies, and he celebrates. Second story. It's about a woman. And she has 10 very expensive coins, and one gets lost. So she takes her lamp, she turns her house upside down, sweeps the place clean, finds the coin, and then gathers her friends and neighbors and throws a party. Third story. It's the longest. It's the closer. It takes up most of chapter 15. And it goes like this. Man had two boys. And one wanted his inheritance early. Why? Because he wanted to waste it on wine, women, and song. So he took off, went to a faraway land, and blew everything. When he was finally destitute, poverty-stricken, and eating pig slop out of a trough, he came to his senses, the Bible says, and he prepared a plan. He decided that he would have a speech. He would come home to his father and try to convince his father that he could be an employee in the house in order to work off the debt and the uh, inheritance that he had blown. But while he was on his way home, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming, was filled with love, ran and hugged him, and threw a huge party, killed the fatted calf, and said, what was lost has now been found. But the older son looked in with indignation, did not enjoy the party, and said, what about me? End of story. So there's your three stories. Now, this is interesting, because it's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus will tell the same basic story. He'll tell a story three different ways, back to back. And it's basically the same elements in the stories. Have you noticed that? So guess what? When Jesus tells the same story three times, he really, really, really wants you to get whatever it is that connects those three stories. So what are the connecting elements? Well, let's look at them, shall we? Number one, obviously, in all three stories, something is lost. 
So what Jesus wants you to get is the lostness of the lost things. Now, as parables are always parallel to something, that's where you get the same word from parable and parallel, they're paralleling something in real life, right? So it's not really about a coin, it's not really about a sheep, it's not really about a son. What's it about? Well, the lost things we're talking about here are, are people, right? That's what we're talking about, people. So we're not talking about people being geographically lost here. We are talking about people being spiritually lost. And Jesus is saying that everybody is lost. And in order to kind of get to the bottom of exactly how lost we are, he has to tell the story in three different ways. And the three different lost things actually shed light on the different layers of spiritual lostness of the human race. So have you looked into this before? Think about it, okay? Let's go to the first story. There's a lost sheep. So the lost sheep, what is that saying about humans who are lost? Well, it says that uh, humans are like a lost animal wandering around searching for happiness where it can't be found. And maybe you've never experienced this before with livestock, right? Like he's d demonstrating through a sheep, but we had cows when I was growing up, so we had like 50 head of cattle. And uh, it seemed like their, their number one goal in life was to eat as much grass as possible and to get out of the fenced area. Like, leave the fenced area. They, they would jump the fence, break the fence, uh, find weak spots in the fence, anything to try to get out. And so sure enough, you know, once every few months or so, it's like, the cows are out, the cows are out, the cows are out. And now everybody would go to round up the lost cows. And of course, they're not very smart. So when a cow gets out, when a cow gets lost, it's never healthy experience for them. So they'd get out, and we'd find them overeating grain. A cow will eat itself to death, literally. So we'd find it overeating grain or exposed to wild animals. One time, uh, a leg cut up, a barbed wire. One time, we found a cow that had uh, drowned in a muddy bog. And we surmised that it had gone in, it, had, it was thirsty, it had gone in for water, got stuck in the mud, couldn't pull itself out and drowned there. So you understand by this that livestock, maybe not always knowing their, their own um, best interests, thinking that they've got something that will last and satisfy, go wandering out after it, and inevitably it never lasts, and it never satisfies. And so like a sheep, we are wandering, searching for these things that do not last and do not satisfy. But then like a coin, think about what, what a coin is like. A lost coin is unique in this way, is that the, the, the lost coin is immobile. Look, what can, a, what can the coin do to help itself get found? It can't even cry out, hey, I'm behind the couch. I would really like that feature on my phone or my keys, by the way, because uh, I lose those things like once every three or four months. But with, you know, normally your, your inanimate object can't help itself get found, can it? And that's what's unique about the coin, and that's saying something about you. It's saying something about me. In some sense, we are lost and immobile and unable to help ourselves in a couple different ways. Well, one, we're trapped. We are incapable of, of working our way up into God's good graces. I mean, if there was a way that we could climb up the moral ladder, it may be. But how many of you have found that to be possible? The perfection and the holiness of God, it's out of reach. And the Bible says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're, we're lost in that way. We're incapable of climbing up the moral ladder. In a second way, we're, we're immobile, and, and it's like this. Jesus said, and he said it quite often, he said, anybody who sins is a slave to sin. What he was telling you, this is not very complimentary, but it's what he said, so I'm going to relay it to you. He said that when you engage in behaviors 
that are breaking the heart of God, immoral. These are behaviors that in some sense we hate and yet we can't not do them. We're sin addicts. Every single one of us, Jesus says, is a sin addict. We compulsively do the very things we hate. Pride, lust, anger, laziness, materialism. So in this way, we're like the coin. We are sort of dead in our lost condition, unable to help ourselves get found. But then thirdly, like a lost son, we're separated. There's a sense of separation from the Father. There's a relational disconnect. We're alone. We're away from the safe house of God. So think about this for a second. You know, by our own choices, Jesus is making a pretty strong declaration about your moral life. He's saying that we have been cut off by our choices, by our own efforts, from, the, from relationship with God. We all kind of come to this place where we say, look, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to run my own life my own way. I'm going to do it apart from God. Whether or not we, you know, sort of reject God entirely or not is sort of beside the point. We, we want to run our own life. And so in do, doing so, we separate ourselves from God's life. You know, I'm going to run my life. So we separate ourselves from God's life. And as a result in the story, the son gets exposed to incredible danger when he runs away. Now notice, though, it's only after a certain period of time. At the beginning of his journey away from the father's house, he feels great. He feels awesome. Why? Because he's blowing the father's inheritance. And there's a lot of people, some in this room perhaps, there's some people that maybe you know, and they are far from God. And they're not feeling any problem about that. They're just not feeling any issues with that. What they don't realize is that they're spending the resources that God has put into them to live apart from God. The lost son has taken his own father's inheritance and now has blown it in a life lived far from God. And as such, he eventually comes to the end of those resources. Graciously, he comes to the end of those resources. And then he has the defining moment. And so just like that, friends, our souls are in danger outside the safe place where we all belong. So like a son, we are lost and alone. And that's what it means to be lost. It's not a pretty picture. Like uh, a, a sheep, we're wandering, unsatisfied, moving from false hope to false hope. Like a coin, lifeless, we're caught in patterns of life that we can't stop and we can't earn our way out of. And like the son, we're cut off from the father and exposed to danger, not just temporal, but eternal, soulish danger a lot of lostness, right? And that's why there has to be three stories. So question, if some people are this lost, then, you know, maybe we should have the Pharisees' attitude. Because remember, you know, the, the story is basically told uh, to answer the Pharisees' uh, attitude of superiority regarding uh, his dinner guests and that sort of thing. So, um, so when he describes uh, his dinner guests as lost, I think the Pharisees are, are, are applauding. You know, they're saying, yeah, they're, they're sort of smugly agreeing with him. Yeah, what you're, I get it, Jesus, I get what you're saying. You're saying you're hanging out with lost people. They are very lost. We agree. But in the last story, there's another character, the older brother. And that's the closing. That shows you why Jesus has told the story. He's told it to respond to these Pharisees who are indignant about the Father's indiscriminate love for lost things. And so when the climax of the last story comes, there's a banquet for the lost son. We'll talk about that in a second. But the older son, the Bible says, verse 28, refused to go in. Go, go into what? Go into the party. 
Now, AC3 understands something. Whenever Jesus describes a banquet, and he does so in several different parables, whenever he describes a banquet, he's talking about the kingdom. Don't you love that? When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's a party. Heaven is always a party in Jesus' lexicon. So understand something. When the older son refuses to go in to the party, he's refusing to go in to the invitation to heaven. And you know what that means. That means the older son is as lost younger son was. And that's a fascinating thing to think about. That means, if we really catch it and understand the context of the reason why Jesus told the three stories, that means he's saying everybody's lost. Religious, irreligious, right and left, and rich and poor, and uh, the good people and the bad people, and you and me. Lost. But wait, there's more. There's a second connector in these stories, and that is the worth of the lost. Now, notice in each story, what is missing is of great value. Jesus' audience would have immediately identified uh, each of the lost items as uh, something of incredible worth, beginning with a sheep. In an agrarian culture, you understand livestock is your livelihood. You understand that that, that matters. It's something of incredible value. Now, maybe that's hard for us to get our mind around, so... Uh, the value of a single sheep, so just try to imagine the value of your family pet. And that's a little easier for suburbanites to maybe get a hold of. Think about the value of the family pet. We used to have an Alaskan Malmute, and um, he was also part goat because he could eat anything. He loved to eat anything. And of special interest to him were the leashes, the nylon that they make the dog collars and dog leashes out of. You know the kind of material I'm talking about? He loved that. Put a little dog stink on that, and mm, boy, he just, I don't know, he just wanted to chew it. He'd take it off to clean it or whatever. He just wanted to eat it like a snack. So he tried to keep that away from him, but uh, sure enough, one day, when I wasn't uh, looking, he ate his six-foot-long, one-inch-wide nylon leash down to the hardware. Okay? Ate it. Ate it all. Gulp. Down. So he's being a little bit lethargic uh, after a half day uh, after that. We finally realized, where's his other leash? Oh, my goodness, he, uh, he ate it. And so we took him into the vet. And uh, sure enough, there's a square foot blockage in his guts. Oh, I was so mad, I wanted to kill him. The vet said, you wait a day, the leash will do it for you. And sure enough, he was on death's door. So it was either um, very expensive surgery or... So it was a big decision because it was a lot of money. And uh, we informed the boys. They were 9 and 11 at the time. And here's what I'm thinking. You know, I'm thinking the boys don't seem too attached to Toby. He was a year old at the, at the time. And, you know, the whole romance of the family pet had kind of worn off. You know, feeding, walking, cleaning up, 130-pound Malmute, you get the drift. It's uh, not fun. So, so because they don't seem that attached to him, we're, we're thinking we're, think we're leaning towards euthanizing. See, we weren't really sure it mattered to them that they lost their dog. So while we're taking a day to decide, Toby is laid out in the backyard. He's clearly suffering. And to our surprise, both our boys took turns, and they would go into the backyard, and they would lie on him. He was a big dog. And they would lie beside him, and they would cry with him, and they would hug him, and then at the end of that first day, while we were kind of mulling over the big decision, they came and they got their heads together and they lobbied us. They said, we'll give up our allowance for a year, but please save Toby. 
until we did. We saved Toby because that's ours. That's a stupid, blue-shooting dog. He matters. That dog matters. He lived another 11 years. He matters like a sheep lost matters to the shepherd. He's thing of great value. Now, secondly, we think about that coin, and maybe you have a hard time getting around the value of a single coin. Like, what was it, a silver dollar, like a collector's item? No, no, understand it like this. In the first century, all currency was coins, and some it could be very expensive, like very, very, uh, a lot of money uh, contained in a coin. So you just imagine, if you want to get in a modern context, imagine a widow retiree who misplaces a stock certificate that her deceased husband had left to her to manage her entire retirement security, and she's lost it. And now imagine the value of it. And now you get a, a sense of how much that matters. And now you get to a son, right? This goes without saying, right? A son, <laughs> lost son. But some of you have actually had this, the experience of this, like you've lost your kid for a few minutes in Disneyland or in a supermarket or something, right? You know what that's like? You lose your kid? Whoa. I had this experience way back when Jaden was under two. We had one of these moments where we lost him. I'd say don't call CPS, but he's 21 now, so go ahead. And maybe, you know, maybe they'll take him. Uh, that, would, that, would be, that'd be interesting. But, you know, so he's gone. We find, you know, he's under two, and we find out that he's gone, and, and John and I have one of these moments. I thought you had him. I thought you were watching him, you know, and you, you only do that for about 10 seconds. He's, I can blame you later. Find the kid now. So we spread out, and we go looking for him all throughout the house, and and I, I figure um, uh, he's probably moved to the, to the front yard, which is often where he escaped to. So, so it's been about 10 minutes since anyone had seen him last. And I just remember the panic, the fear that gripped my heart. The, the... So you understand. If you're a parent, you've been in a situation like that. So I run for the front door. And just as I open it, it opens itself. Because there's a person standing on my doorstep. And there's my child in his outstretched arms. And I look over the shoulder, and I notice in the street there's a car that's parked there, and there's several cars backed up behind it, which means my son has wandered out on the street, stopped the car, and the person was nice enough to pick him up and bring him in, and he said, lose one of these. Yes. Boom. <clears throat> Don't call the cops. You know, a son, a missing son or daughter, right? I mean, just of infinite worth to a mother or father. And when they're missing, I don't have to tell you. That really, that really matters. So do you think maybe they're catching the point by the third story? Because that is the point, right? Remember, the story's been told to the Pharisees. And so do you think that they're getting it, that these undesirables that Jesus is hanging out with and he's talking to and he's having dinner with, these rebellious, these wanders, these rascals, the irreverent, that maybe, just maybe, they matter to God? Do you think they're getting it? Like that they're valuable? Even in their lost condition, they matter. Because that is the point, ACC. That's the hammer blows that are falling in one, two, three. Three stories. Lost people matter to God. That's the point. They matter. Can you grasp it? Can you grasp it? Is a love so big that it could patiently endure 
years of wandering, deadness, resistance, a love that says you matter to me even when you have nothing to give, even when your back is turned, even when you're dead in your misbehavior, even when you're barking up the wrong tree. You matter. There's three stories ACC that say one thing. Lost things matter. And I hope you catch the upshot. If people matter so much to God, guess what? Then maybe, maybe they should matter to me. And I don't know how much time you spent in your life looking down your nose, perhaps, at other people who make really stupid decisions in their life, but we've all spent some time in that camp, haven't we? And maybe you should say to yourself, why am I sitting in this camp when I should be doing something different, maybe reflecting the heart of the Father? What am I doing here if people matter to God? What am I doing here judging them, ostracizing them, shunning them, repelling them? Shouldn't I be praying for them? Shouldn't I be loving them? Shouldn't I be coming up close in relationship with them? Shouldn't I be praying for redemption to win? Maybe. If we catch the point of Jesus' story, we will. Now here's a third thread that ties the parables together. It flows out of the second. Lost things matter. So lost things inspire all-out searching. Let's again go through the story. The lost sheep goes away. And the shepherd searches in the night, even leaves the others to do it, which says it's risky. It's resource intensive. He's going to leave his livelihood over here to go find the one lost sheep. Resource intensive, all out search. Same with the lost coin. Woman turns the house upside down, the Bible says. Carefully sweeps the house. It's an all out search. The intensity of the search speaks to the value, right? And now there's a twist in the third story because... The father decides to give the son time to come to his senses. That phrase in our song that was sung earlier, that comes right out of the text. He comes to his senses. But I think we can all agree that the father is looking down the road with a searching heart, for sure. So that means that in every case of someone becoming a Christian, in every case of someone surrendering, someone surrendering the leadership of their life to Jesus Christ, it always involves two seeks talk a lot about being a seeker at AC3. We want to be a safe place for seekers. People who are investigating, people who are doing what Jesus told us to do on the panel. Ask, seek, knock. We want to be a safe place for those kinds of people, but understand something. Even if you were the most intense seeker ever, how can we have any confidence that if we seek, we're going to find? That if we ask, that we'll receive, or that if we knock, that a door will be open for us? I'll tell you how. You'll, the only way you'll have confidence is that if you know there's an answer to the longing of your heart. And what Jesus is telling you in this story is that there is an answer to the longing of your heart because you are not the only seeker involved in the process. God has been seeking you. God is seeking you. See, you're not just the only one all alone, adrift in the universe, trying to figure it out trying to look for answers and peace of mind and truth and that whole thing, there is someone on the other side of the door who's also knocking for your heart. And this is an amazing thing. Later, Jesus will say, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He bids you knock, but he's been knocking your whole life asking you to ask, seek, and knock, but he's been knocking your whole life long. In different things that maybe you didn't even recognize was God seeking you 
the hound of heaven after you. There was that crisis. Remember that moment of pain? And you felt like you were at the bottom and that that was the one moment that you decided to look up. You remember that? You remember that season of blessing where you just thought this is uncanny and it directed your heart to perhaps the giver of all good things? Do you remember the dreams that you had, the vision in the night, the supernatural uncanny sense of God's presence, his pursuing love? God was looking for you. He's been looking for you your whole life long. So for someone to be found, it always involves two seekers. And that's why there's three stories, by the way. Because in the first two stories, you notice that God is the seeker. He's the hound of heaven looking for the lost thing. But in the third story, you notice this? There's the father who's waiting for you to come to your senses. That's why there has to be three stories, because there's two seekers. And if you identify yourself this morning as a seeker, you say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm a spiritual seeker. I mean, I don't know if I've landed in the Christian camp. Maybe that's you. You say, I'm still investigating this whole thing. I'm kicking the tires. I'm not sure. Someone maybe brought me. They, they were, they're my friend, and they said, hey, you get some out of this parable series. I'm really glad that you're here. Just understand something. I, I hope you're hearing in these stories the seeking heart of God. Maybe you'll hear that in the voice of Jesus today. Finally, there's a last connecting thread in these stories, and that is simply this, that retrieval brings celebration. That in every case, there is a grand party that's thrown. The shepherd finds the sheep, the woman finds the coin, the son returns to the father. In each case, huge celebration ensues. Now, this is very personal, and I hope you get this personally this morning. Look at this. The text says, Luke 15, 10, Jesus says, and in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of all the angels of God in heaven over just one sinner who repents. Now, that's a fascinating thing because I was studying it this week and I think about God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that old Christian doctrine that says Jesus has revealed God to be tripersonal, a community of persons in eternal oneness. That's a fascinating and mysterious thing. But think about that God celebrating over me. And you can see the triune God as he celebrates over you in the three stories. The celebrating father who kills the fatted calf. Our heavenly father rejoices over you. The shepherd who leaves the 99. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Celebrating over you. The woman who turns her house upside down and then throws a party. That is the Holy Spirit. Who in the, the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is rejoicing over you, our recovered coin. So listen, if you're a Christian in the room, and there's lots of Christians in the room here this morning, I want you to go back to the day that you remembered you, you turned from darkness to light. You know, the moment you became a Christian. And maybe for you, you don't, you don't settle on a day or an hour. You can't do that. But you can settle on a season. There was a moment when, when your worldview shifted. And it wasn't just a worldview thing. It was a supernatural thing. And you came alive in Christ. I want you to go back to that moment. Let's get very personal. Do you remember that day? There were some things that happened in the physical realm, like perhaps you uh, acknowledged your decision on a piece of paper, or you told somebody, or you came forward at a service, or you bowed the knee of your heart over a in a living room someplace with a friend. Lots of things happened in the physical realm, but what you didn't see in the spiritual realm was something Jesus said nevertheless happened. 
and that's that all of heaven broke out in a party over you. Over you. That there was a day when there was a party that was unfurled and a banner came open in heaven and it had your name on it. Your name. It was a celebration over you. I mean, can you fathom this, Ace of Greece? Can you grasp how much you matter? That there came a day in the course of time when you repented and you bowed the knee of your heart and you came to your senses and all heaven broke forth in a party. I mean, that's just, that's just unbelievable to me. I mean, it's unbelievable. There is love in heaven with my name written on it. Not too long ago, a woman came to AC3 and she was looking for some help. She was not looking for God. She was a recovering addict and so she wasn't here for the for church. She came for our NA meeting on Friday night. And um, this church was doing a series of winter court concerts during that winter in our lobby. And uh, her daughter was enjoying the music in the lobby while she attended the NA meeting upstairs. So eventually her daughter invited her to check out the music because it was like super cool, mom. And uh, so that single mom uh, decided to come to a concert. It was the first time she had been to a church event. And uh, What's interesting is if you had seen her like a month before she came to AC3, you would have said, this, this woman's not coming to church, uh, let alone becoming a Christian. That just ain't going to happen. But um, in fact, you might, have, you might have had a pharisaical thought or two. You might have said, oh, single mom and desperate situation, and do these people really matter? Oh, yes. She matters to God. And because some of you believe that people matter to God. You put on those concerts to create a safe place where people can just come and show up in a space with Jesus people. And because some of you believe that down to your marrow, you actually walked across the room and engaged in conversation with her. And because one of you believe that down to your marrow, you just kind of struck up a little friendship and you said, would you like to come to church with me? Tomorrow we're doing it in the same space. And she said yes. And that marked the beginning of her return home, because when she came to church that weekend, this parable was the topic, and she said to herself, could I matter that much to God? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You matter to God. And she bowed the knee of her heart, and that song that Christians have been singing for ages have become, has become her song. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. And she realized that the banner that unfurled in heaven that day had her name written on it. Yeah, her name. So we've seen this, AC3. We've seen the lostness of the lost. We've seen the preciousness of the lost. We've seen the search for the lost. And we've seen the celebration that happens in finding the lost. But how do the lost get found? Well, there's a one-word answer. Jesus underlines it two times. He says, when he's talking about the celebration, there's a celebration when one sinner does what? Repent. Repent. So the beginning of the lost becoming found is contained in that word repentance. What does that mean? Well, it means simply the changing of your mind. A, a 180, doing this whole 180 kind of thing. It means uh, admitting yourself to be a lawbreaker and then having a change of heart. And to strip off your pride and acknowledge your lostness and repent means that you turn from everything that you've been carrying that's a competing love. You have to strip that off. Repentance means you strip that off and come and it's just you. Speaking of that, I saw, a, there's a word picture I saw in a Japanese game show. 
Japanese game shows are weird. They're really weird. So what this one had was a person stood on this little bit of a perch, and they had to stand there while a wall was coming at them. But the wall has sort of an oddly shaped hole. And the hole was going to come at this person, and they had to contort their body like this so that they could fit through the hole. And if they didn't, well, the wall that was coming at them was going to push them off that pedestal, and they would lose the game. And that opening that had, you know, just enough room, just enough room for you, reminds me of that narrow door that Jesus talks about in his kingdom. You can't get through it if you cling to your baggage, your sin, your idols. There's just enough room for you to come as you are. And so Luke records this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. And so if they were gathering around Jesus, I mean, that means those those sinners and 'er ne'er-do-wells had not only happily stripped off their old life and repented, but they had also placed their faith in Jesus. Was that the second thing? They repented and they expressed faith in Jesus. They just entrusted themselves to his amazing mercy and they weren't disappointed. And ironically, it was the respectable Pharisees who remained lost. I mean, they are the older brother, right? Indignant and jealous and self-righteous. So again, go back to the context. Verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Guess what? They meant that as a dig. They meant that to cut at Jesus. He welcomed sinners and eats with them. But all they really did was give you a prescription for how to get saved. For the last 2,000 years then, there are the Pharisees, ironically, outlining the way of salvation. It goes like this. If you repent and come near to Jesus in childlike faith, God welcomes you. Everyone matters. There's a search on for everyone. God will celebrate the return of everyone of his lost sheep, but now what? Now found people, lost people matter to God. And so they better matter to you. And what needs to change in your life for lost people to matter? For you to orient your life around the reaching and helping and loving of people who are far from God. church would have your heart. And maybe there's some here who they have to have some, some kind of rearrangement on the inside so that we would order our lives around the loving of lost people. Some fears are going to have to be put aside. Some condemnation and self-righteousness is going to have to be put aside. Some moral superiority is going to have to be put aside so that we can love that which is precious. 
to you. May it happen by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ. Now, God, I pray for those in this room who are investigating faith, those who would recognize themselves in the story of Jesus as lost, and for every person who courageously could see that, yes, they have wandered far from home, and that they are listless and helpless to save themselves by their own moral performance, and they are sin addicts like the rest of us. And for every person here who would willingly acknowledge they have strayed far from your love and grace and from the safety of your home, I pray that you give them the courage of faith. I pray that you give them the courage of repentance so that they could turn and entrust, embrace you. And there I know you will, they will find the promise that the Father has already embraced them. And may it happen for the glory of Jesus and his grace in this church and in this world. I pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> Friend, listen, uh, when you make a big decision, you turn to Jesus in faith, for example, you got to tell somebody. Tell the person who brought you. The friend who brought you would love to hear what your story, what God's doing in your heart. And I would love to as well. Anybody wearing a lanyard, walk in faith together. Now, next week begins our Imagine Christmas series, so come next week, invite a friend. We're going to do the ramp up to uh, Christmas in a really cool way, and now we're going to move into Extended. We're going to go deep into why Jesus told parables in the first place. We're going to do that in two minutes and extend it. We'll see you all next week.